It's the 22nd of September, 2019. And this is episode 413 of Let's Talk Bitcoin. Hey folks, on today's show, we've got another full lineup of live interviews. Over the course of this episode, we'll meet Jason, Chris, and Nicholas, all relatively new Bitcoin users, for a look at the value proposition and paths in for more recent converts. After the break, Edge.app's Paul Pui and I sit down to discuss what's changed with time in cryptocurrency, what we've learned, or at least think we have. Enjoy the show. Okay. We're here with Jason. Jason, how are you? I'm great. I'm happy to be on the show. <laughs> so, Jason, we're doing these conversations basically talking to people who have been here for a while and people who are newer to the space. You're kind of falling on the newer side, right? Absolutely. Um, I got introduced to kind of blockchain and crypto in a, in a weird way, uh-huh. um, and it was actually in about April of 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like six months ago, or like less well, than that? No, no, uh, 2018, oh, 2018, not 19. Right, um, my years. <laughs> okay, so, so about a year and a half ago. So yeah, the uh, the moon was starting to come down uh-huh. from the 2017, and there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of I guess there was bitterness bitter resentment in the space a little mm-hmm. bit about what was happening um, but I was completely immune to like the the price and, and that kind of thing and I was attracted to the technology and the opportunity to behind it uh-huh um, I came from a digital sort of marketing background like mm-hmm. an internet marketing um, sort of uh, skills and, and and whatnot sure and uh, I work with different teams from across the world. And, of course, the, the best SEO teams in the world all come out of India. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> one of them actually reached out to me on Skype to, to ask me to write a white paper for them. Ah. <laughs> and usually in a white paper, it's more of like a case study. Like, hey, this software is better than that software. And, or we use this product or service right. and it caused XYZ result. Um, but they actually, uh, and I had agreed to it. I was like, oh, yeah, sure. It's just a project for me to fulfill. Turns out that they wanted me to write their ICO white paper. Uh, they didn't get the memo that the price was not going to be <laughs> returning. Anyways, when I figured out like what I had agreed to by accident, um, sometimes there's two reactions. One, you can say that you know this is sort of appropriate and out of my league, which is probably what I, I should have done. But I was like, oh, pride, you know, so right. I can I can write this paper. I just have to do some research. And when I did that research, I, of course, fell down the Bitcoin <laughs> white paper rabbit hole. And I was blown away by this technology. And, you know, kind of here I was like this entrepreneur and I was um, moving into a new area to kind of restart up my business in a new geographic location. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well. If I'm an entrepreneur and I can do any sort of opportunity, why don't I get into a space where I could actually print my own economy? And that was really sort of the uh, white paper moment for me is that, you know, these these financial instruments, you know, whether you call them tokens or, you know, uh, Bitcoin or, or, you know, crypto assets really, you know, they allow you to directly interact with your economy at a, at a more granular, um, divisible level. Mm-hmm. 
And for me, it's like, well, I could create a company and I could sell it, but if I create like an economy around my company, then it continually grows. And I'm really, if I do like a, a tokenization event within my business, um, not only will you know, my customers sort of be my most loyal people, but I could actually create value for them in a tangible financial way if yeah. they're my token holders. So I, I think a lot of people haven't realized that, for, but for me, that was really like what got me into the space. Um, and then I had to look around and see like what ideas are built on top of these like mm -hmm. blockchains and you know what what models are out there and um, yeah so that's well it sounds I, I like find myself here like I, I just dove right in you know well it sounds like you basically saw the same kind of opportunity that I did back in 2014 and did the uh, you know LTB coin rewards program with really again using a token to kind of tie together a community and to create like a reciprocal game theory esque. Uh, economy, you know, like you said, sure. where it makes it so that on the one side it's about the token, but on the other side, actually what you're doing is you're incentivizing all of these things that you would typically be paying a marketing expense for with a right. token that you didn't typically have to pay for. Well, and just the realization that these, these tokens are just essentially new tools mm -hmm. and we're just you know, in that sort of primitive, I would say like bronze age of, of token engineering where that just the early ideas are being explored and there's a lot of ideas that have not been explored that are now like opening up mm -hmm. because anybody can make and kind of write their own tokens so maybe the initial idea is sort of like the very first video games that we might play or the programs that we would write in basic or dos or whatever um, are being explored now, mm -hmm. but the, the real sort of fun token engineering is all the stuff that are coming down the pipe. And just telling people that, wow, the, there's these new tools that you can use and, and play with and explore um, is really, to me, a, a huge wake-up call to sort of the uh, entrepreneurial community that, you know, hey, they're looking for any sort of Thing to set them apart in a hyper competitive world and what if you could create a token that resonates with you know just a small number of people mm -hmm. could that be enough you know sort of exploring that whole um, I don't know if you're familiar with Tim Ferriss but um, Timothy Ferriss pretty big huge podcast but he wrote a paper um, I think with like Kevin Kelly uh, wrote 10,000 fans if you could just find your 10,000 fans that you could kind of create a small micro economy for yourself that will support you and what you want to do with your dreams. Well, I think that makes sense. So Jason, just real quickly, let's turn to kind of um, things that were perhaps different than you expected. Because again, your, your round into cryptocurrency was actually a little bit different than we typically hear. Typically people are attracted by the price as like kind of this beaconing mechanism, and then they fall down the rabbit hole because of the technology, usually when the price has gone away as the incentive. But that wasn't really your path here. So I'm kind of curious, you know, what did you believe in the beginning, perhaps after you'd educated yourself, um, but before you'd really kind of gone down all of the, you know, next year and a half? You know, like what, what changed over the course of that time for you? What yeah. do you think is important now that perhaps you well, didn't think I was mean, important? Well, I mean, I did. The reason that I perhaps was uh, so aloof about what was going on in the space, because obviously Bitcoin's been around since, sure. you know, 20, 2009 and then, you know, maybe 2011 for more people and beyond, is that it does have this... Um, I would just say like a misnomer that this is just a pure speculative financial instrument, like almost like maybe a, a wild volatile penny stock or, you know, some other 
financial instrument that if I'm not a stock trader or if I'm not an investor, if I'm not in that fintech world, that it's not really for me. Like mm -hmm. I'm just a common guy. I'm just trying to hustle and do my whatever nine to five. Or if I'm an entrepreneur, I'm worried exclusively about my business, not what's happening in the greater speculative financial markets. Mm -hmm. um, and I, that was the biggest thing that I realized. It's like, whoa, whoa, this is this has got a huge reputation problem because really this is a fascinating uh, techno technological tool that you can use in a variety of different ways. It's not like a one note story. Mm -hmm. So I actually kind of was fortunate that there was a lot of meetups going around in my area. So when I found out about the tech, the first thing that I wanted to do is like, is there anybody else around me right. that has found out about this? So I went on meetup and of course I found uh, uh, being in uh, Denver and Boulder area, there was a Boulder blockchain meetup. Mm -hmm. And when I went to that general Boulder blockchain meetup, I was like, wow, there's a lot of projects in Ethereum. There's some people that like these uh, other token EOS or, you know, uh, in Bitcoiners, of course, we're, we're a part of it. But really it was uh, the variety. And I would say the optimism and enthusiasm around the community itself. Like there is a vibrant crypto culture element that people who are just looking at the price completely discount, mm -hmm. um, I, I, at least in my, my personal experience. At the beginning of your story, you found yourself writing a white paper. <laughs> Quick question, did you actually write that white paper? Uh, you don't have to say the project, I'm just yeah. curious if you actually did write the white paper. And I'm curious also kind of, you know, 18 months later, what are you thinking about in terms of cryptocurrency? Where do you see yourself being involved? Uh, yeah, I actually did write part of that white paper. Uh, that project, I don't think, really got to funding level that they were looking to get in 2018. And uh, I will keep myself safely anonymous Indeed. from that. <laughs> um, however, um, it really did open my eyes to the greater opportunity, which was here you have people from all across the world. They have great ideas. Um, and communicating the value of those ideas in multiple ways is kind of really what separates the, the wheat from the chaff too. And the really, one of the most unfortunate stories with cryptocurrency is the fact that even people that are hardcore supporters of the space can probably only name 10 to 20 projects on coinmarketcap.com. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is there's 6,000 ideas, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> Floating around there in various states of like, uh, you know, uh, development, sure. I would say. Um, but there's a lot of good ideas that are buried because they're unable to really penetrate through that financial note story mm -hmm. or, or just the, um, the, the merit of the financial instrument versus here's my business or my startup that's trying to solve this problem X mm -hmm. using this blockchain tech. And where I see myself now coming from a, a kind of a marketing background is that and by marketing, I also sort of mean education because mm -hmm. uh, a lot of, of marketing is essentially just communication. How do I communicate the value of the problem that I'm trying to solve? Mm -hmm. And so it's a huge problem with cryptocurrency in general and the entire market is that there it's all like technical people trying to solve problems without the ability to say like to mom and pop, 
be like, hey, you know the way that you used to solve problem X? Here's a new thing that you should really try out, and here's why crypto can impact your life in a positive way. You don't have to be a stock trader to take advantage of this. Hey folks, Adam B. Levine here again from the Blockchain Trading Conference on Friday, August the 30th in beautiful Aurora, Colorado. Today I am here with Chris, one of the attendees, I guess, at the Blockchain Training Conference. Chris, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Adam. So, Chris, with these interviews, we're primarily focused on kind of what got you interested in cryptocurrency, how long have you been involved, and kind of what are your aspirations with it, or what are you hoping to get out of it? Yeah, so uh, I started in crypto in May of 2017. Uh, I had a friend who uh, was talking about ICOs. He had a friend who was trying to create an ICO around solar panels, and I uh, was curious about it uh, and, and quickly saw through this kind of scamminess of it, but it caused me to fall down that rabbit hole and, and start to research. Yeah. So then that would have been, you said, in 2017? Yep, May of 2017. Okay, and so then kind of talk to me about what has been your experience in the space. Do you consider yourself more of an investor? Or are you really just trying to learn about it? Again, what's, what's kind of your end goal here with this education? Yeah, so my background is in system administration. And what I really loved about that space was uh, interacting with things from the hardware all the way to the user and in that whole ecosystem. And what crypto... Uh, provided me was to kind of extend that circuit even further into the brain of the people, right? That, and, 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 and it aligned with some interest in, in uh, my politics and socioeconomic issues. Um, so I'm trying to leverage that, those skills to uh, kind of parlay that into a consultancy around uh, e-commerce and, and help people build e-commerce solutions around crypto, uh, in particular BTC Pay Server. Mm -hmm. BTC Pay Server, interesting. So BTC Pay Server is sort of like a it's not necessarily a simple application, but it's like an application stack that you can run that allows you to basically provide the services that you would traditionally get from a company like BitPay, but actually administer it and do it yourself. Exactly. Uh, and But what's really important about BTC Pay Server is the self-sovereignty. Uh -huh. And while I would very much like all of my eventual clients to run their own, mm -hmm. I understand that many of them won't, so I'd be able to offer that service to them as well. Interesting. So you're seeing that as an basically open source business opportunity to take something that's been developed out there in the space and then help people apply it to their businesses and even to kind of automate the technical side so that they don't have to engage with those skills in order to use the service. Exactly. Okay. So that makes a lot of sense. So. Uh, you know, kind of what's your, I mean, like looking at the space right now, do you think that there is an opportunity for that? I mean, uh, merchant adoption has always been one of those really challenging areas where it's partly about what's possible and a lot of it's about the density of people wanting to use that kind of service. And so the a lot of times the trade-off is not really there in a way where merchants have recognized it and felt good about that as something that they wanted to do. Do you think that that's changed now or are you doing this kind of in preparation for when it does? Yeah, it's more in preparation. Uh, I want to be in the very cusp of that wave. Uh -huh. um, yeah, that's uh, I, I, I don't know when it's going to be, but right. when it comes, it's going to be fast. Okay, so you see this as an opportunity that's coming and you're looking to kind of position yourself so that you can ride the wave forward with that. Exactly. That's interesting. So now, is this entrepreneurial uh, bend you're taking something that you've done in the past, or is it kind of attached to these Bitcoin interests that you have? Uh, it's really an outgrowth of my sort of normal nine to five non-crypto world. Huh. Uh, I work for an organization that consults for small businesses, mm. uh, both nascent and established businesses. Uh, we consulted for over 8,000 small businesses last year. Mm -hmm. And um, so the idea is to be able to use this outreach and do this consultancy either on a one-on-one -on -one basis or in a training environment, mm. uh, ed educational space. 
So then, <laughs> so then, I mean, if you're, well, okay. So that's interesting, um, just in terms of the amount of throughput going through sort of uh, that opportunity. So is it something where you plan, you think that these are opportunities that kind of mesh together, or are you looking at this as a way to branch out and differentiate, and differentiate yourself off, off on your own? Yeah, there's two paths. The organization that I work for's mandate is only to teach. Uh, we can't do. Hmm. So there's going to be some of our clients who are going to be able to take this and run with it based solely on the consultancy and the advice that we're able to give, and some of them aren't. And for those clients that uh, are intrigued and, and they see the value, but they themselves either lack the time or the technical competence, then they can bring me in in that, in that role. We're here at the blockchain training conference with Nicholas, who is one of the attendees. And basically, what what I'd like to know is when did you get interested in cryptocurrency, and kind of, you know, what's in it for you? <laughs> what are you here for? Okay. Um, well, I first heard about it in 2014 when I played League of Legends. Uh, a couple of my friends we were pretty tech savvy. Ah. Um, but I really put it off. I was very young. I was still in high school, and uh, I researched a little bit, but didn't put too much information, or didn't get too much information out of it. Mm -hmm. And then approximately in 2017, you know, when the price goes up, right. that's what interests a lot of people. And uh, you, of course, get in for the wrong reasons, but you stay for the right ones. Sure. And so approximately two years of just absorbing all this information, uh, things just started clicking. Hmm. And over time, it just became a very enjoyable hobby that I have. Mm -hmm. So now as an enjoyable hobby that you have, what, what is the hobby? Is the hobby just learning about Bitcoin or are you interested in doing anything in it? or Both. I got into it for as like a trading aspect. Um, but then I started having instances where my friend, uh, a couple of my friends, they, live, they have parents that live abroad. Uh -huh. And I told them about the remittance payments. Use case in that. Things with Bitcoin in terms of Lightning Network mm -hmm. give you a lot of opportunities that you don't have in the traditional space. Well, so expand on that. What kind of opportunities do you see with Lightning that aren't available in the traditional space? Um, in terms of micropayments, instant payments, uh -huh. like I don't know, a lot of people say, oh, getting paid every two weeks is fine. Mm -hmm. But you can get paid every second you're at work. Right, that's an interesting idea. So, I mean, from a logistical standpoint, that seems like it might be kind of challenging right now, but that's kind of where you think we're going with this? Yes. and. I, I can't put a timestamp on anything, sure, of course. Um, but I want to say the next 10 years, a lot of new things, and I'm, I'm very young, I, I just turned 22, mm. and uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens, and you know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. We have other opportunities, because everyone's working on this technology. So, uh, now I'm curious, there, there's kind of always been this barrier for people mm. getting interested in cryptocurrency before they really have a, a good grasp of the problems with the existing monetary system. And I tend to find that that transition usually happens around 25 to 28 because you, you're out of college, you're making a little bit of money, and you're like, wow, this doesn't work very well. So now you're 22, you're mm -hmm. out of college at this point. Yes. And so you're a civil engineer. Yes. So talk to me about that. Kind of where, you know, do you see opportunities as a civil engineer for perhaps not Bitcoin, but for token systems in general, for blockchain systems in general, you know, like are there things that can be, are there beneficial areas there that you've identified by combining your kind of specific context of, of the engineering side with what's available kind of in the cryptocurrency side? Have you connected any dots yet? I have, however, 
what I, I work on transportation engineering, mm-hmm. and a lot of it's funded by the government. The government's always the li- the li- last person to ever join new sure. technology. <laughs> so um, a couple of things I've thought of. Uh, currently, when we win a contract, we can we get the contract, and we're set. We're we're told that we're going to get this amount of money for each con- each um, work authorization that we get. However, they can pull away the funds whenever they want. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking in terms of a smart contract implication. Mm-hmm. When you win the contract, it's set. Mm-hmm. And that was just a simple, simple idea sure. that I had. But there's many more that I probably could think of later, but I haven't put that much time into it. Yeah. I just, I'm very interested in um, not falling behind in the space, which is very hard. <laughs> yeah, so we're obviously at a very kind of education-focused conference. You know, um, of the talks that you've seen, kind of what was the one that you thought was the most important or kind of the one that you liked the most? And then perhaps another one is kind of what was the one that you went into maybe with mixed expectations and found it actually be really interesting or useful? Uh, I'll start with the second one. Uh, I was, I'm not a developer, so uh, I wanted to go to the Lightning talk with Renee, and it was mind-blowing I, I enjoyed all of it I, I have a little bit of technical background so I could follow um, and that was very very in, enticing for me and that was um, a 90-minute session yes um, I this is what I said to myself I'm gonna go <laughs> if 15 minutes in I, a lot of the stuff goes over my head I'll leave and go to another one there was other ones that were during that time that mm-hmm. I would have uh, that I would like to attend as well but uh, I actually stayed the whole time and understood most of it mm. um, and then the first question. And then the first question was kind of just, you know, broadly, what, what was the most valuable talk you think you went to or the one where you think you kind of learned the, the most or was most useful to you? Um, well, Andreas is talking in the be- beginning about the, the, C4 or the CBP certification. Mm-hmm. I want to say that was the most useful because I, I didn't have one originally, um, but I passed the test today mm-hmm. or actually yesterday. And, uh, Me too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, so I guess that just filled in the small things that I might not have known, but I pretty much knew everything. So I guess that was, to me, the most important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Bitcoin, the, the, profe- uh, the certified Bitcoin professional, the CBP, mm-hmm. you know, like I didn't really understand that at first. I thought that that was something that was a lot more complex than it turned out being. And indeed, it was really straightforward to go through. And if you, you know, have a basic knowledge of Bitcoin and blockchains and, you know, how stuff like that works, it, some of the questions were technical in terms of like yes. what's the UTXO, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and things like that. But it was very achievable, even for people with a non-technical background. If you came to this conference, you should be able to pass the test. Yeah, That's how I think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Nicholas, thank you very much for your time today. Yes, thank you so much. Indeed. (laughs) Hey, folks. Adam B. Levine here with Matt from Purse.io for another Sponsored Minute. Hey, Matt. Hey, Adam. At Purse, our mission is making crypto useful. We believe that the value of Bitcoin goes up for everybody when we expand its use case as digital cash. At Purse, we enable Bitcoin users to buy anything on Amazon with their Bitcoin for big discounts. We also spend half our resources as a company developing open source tools to get Bitcoin into more hands and make Bitcoin easier to send and receive for everybody. These tools include the Bitcoin full node and SPV node, the Bitcoin wallet, and the multi-sig server. All these applications are under active development and they get better every day. Check out our documentation and library of introductory developer guides at Bitcoin.io. We can learn everything from cross-chain atomic swaps to building web-based Bitcoin tools with the Bitcoin library. To start saving today, visit purse.io. And for more information about Bitcoin, visit bcoin.io or just look it up on GitHub. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Adam.
Hey folks, this is Adam B. Levine. I'm here at the Blockchain Training Conference once again for one of the last interviews in this series. Uh, today is Friday, August 30th, and we are in beautiful Aurora, Colorado. Today I am joined by Paul Pooley. Paul, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me, Adam. Great being on the show. Obviously, as I've mentioned to you many times, the show that started it all for me and to this day still listen to it and where I get a lot of my info. So Paul is a sponsor, and historically we have not had sponsors on because I have felt like it was a bit of a breach for me to cross that line. But I came to realize about a month ago that I have such strict standards for sponsors in terms of <laughs> who I will actually take money from that it is actually kind of a dumb thing that I have been doing because it makes it so that even though there have been three times that I have wanted to talk with you about things, <laughs> since you started sponsoring the show, I haven't felt comfortable talking to you about it. So every once in a while, every six months or so, we're going to be doing one of these talks. Awesome. Uh, and regardless. <laughs> Let's so, make, as long as we bring value to the audience, right? And well, they're actually giving you good the insights. Then it's just like any other person that would would be on the show as well. It's right? very true, but again, like eh, with it's all the nonsense in this space, again, I just try to hold myself to a good standard. So I'm happy with this. So, anyways, with all of that said, Paul, we're talking today primarily about you know for people who have been in the space for a while, how has your perspective changed? What are you thinking about cryptocurrency or Bitcoin now that you didn't used to think? And you know, let's start from there. So obviously, when we first started the the company, when I first got into crypto, my big excitement was use and utility. And we had built a company around that, merchant adoption, being able to pay between people, almost like the Venmo of, of Bitcoin and crypto. Mm -hmm. And while I still hold that dream long term, and I feel like we will get there with crypto, um, it's the perspective from the viewpoint of where we'll be for the next four, potentially even eight years, is that we're still in a very, very speculative phase. And that's going to drive the industry for quite some time. And I think that's healthy for now on multiple fronts. I think why we're, why we're there is because we actually are not very certain of what it will take to be successful mm -hmm. as a currency. And that uncertainty has created a lot of different options. And the growth of the industry, as far as the sheer number of souls, individuals, and more importantly, opinions in the space, as you grow, you now you're, what was a nice a convergent uh, opinion has now become a very divergent. Mm -hmm. And as that starts to grow, you will have many different options both on a creativity side, you know, creativity creates more options, but also just on a disagreement side. Mm -hmm. And so expanding options to see what will work and what, what different use cases we have is where I'm at today, as opposed to that, okay, we're gonna use Bitcoin, we're gonna spend it between each other, and, you know, we're gonna buy things with it. Right. Now it's, we will eventually, but how we get there is still, there's still a dozen different paths. Right, there's, there's this underpants known problem where yeah. it's like step one, you know, collect underpants. Step two, <laughs> question mark. <laughs> step three, profit, right? And we, we know yeah. the start and we know the end of the story, but we don't know the middle part yet. Yeah, we don't know quite the path to get there. Yeah. And each individual group, sometimes even country, might have their opinion. Um, there's, and then we go in, t in waves of one opinion which then goes away and then another opinion which goes away and it's been really fascinating seeing not just the waves of prices because I think I came in you know at a time before all you saw were ups and downs in price mm -hmm. like pre 20 I came in 2013 before mm -hmm. that all, all there were, were just ups and downs in price now what we're seeing is ups and downs in opinion mm -hmm. in a def in independent of price where opinion was okay it was Bitcoin then it was these weird altcoins then it was blockchain not Bitcoin and then it was smart contracts and then it's Bitcoin again and and they kind of align with price, but kind of don't. 
And it's almost like you're having to, to ride waves of emotion that are independent of just simply the price and market cap. Are there waves of emotion or waves of misunderstanding yeah, mis followed exactly, by understanding? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So some aspects of just uh, the humanity behind this project and realize that no matter how much math you put behind Bitcoin and crypto, there's still a human element behind that math. And that was probably one of my big aha moments. I was so purist, like, this is awesome because it's just, it's math, it's hard, and it, it, it can't change it, and it's immutable, and blah, blah, blah. And you realize that behind all of that is still humans, and we just fundamentally disagree. That's right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, like, that, 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 that process you're talking about, I totally, totally can <laughs> sympathize with that because I've also had a lot of the idealism beaten out of me just by <laughs> trying to bring things to market and yeah, seeing yeah. how the stuff that we care about, well, that's important and that's still there, but actually nobody else cares, nobody cares about, about it. Right yeah, now. no, it's been interesting. You know, the question here a lot of times has been, you know, how do you improve education in cryptocurrency? Yeah. And I think that that's almost the wrong question. It's more like, how do you make sure that education is there in cryptocurrency for when mm -hmm. people find themselves disenfranchised by the systems that would lead them to that sort of thinking? But right. that's kind of a prerequisite almost for the learning. It, I mean, education definitely is a prerequisite for the learning, and it's gotten both immensely better and worse. Disenfranchisement. Uh, uh, or, or dissatisfaction with, with the existing. existing system. Yeah, exactly. Like, you're referring to existing system as a not cryptocurrency. Well, whatever. I mean, whatever you're talking whatever about, you're anything currently that's going to be disrupted, right? If it serves you well, why would you want to disrupt it? Why would you feel Correct. like disruption is in your benefit? Exactly. But we're, we're living in this world where, again, you talk about something like money and, you know, like the, the on the, the sort of bell curve, right? Like the 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 curve is moving and more and more people are finding themselves sort of not well served by the system, which seems to me like almost more important than what Bitcoin or cryptocurrency does is the trend that we should really be thinking about. Is not how do we get these people to care? They're being made to care by nature of the fact that these systems aren't working for them anymore. So the question is, how do we make sure that we're there to educate them in a way that's helpful to them as opposed to a way that's exploitive of them? Exactly. As opposed to pushing them out the window, give them the trampoline for when they decide to jump. Right, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And that, again, you know, like the trampoline, you know, trampoline, lifeboat, whatever you Everything, want to call exactly, it. Everything, yeah. exactly, you know. You know, like they're, they're all kind of examples of the same thing, which is more catch. options. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. More options. And the, with respect to the education, what I've felt like is education in this day and age today is both immensely better, but at the same time immensely harder. Mm -hmm because there's so much more to learn and so much more to study. A lot of competition, and too. There's a lot of competition. And what do you study? I remember before, obviously, to kind of give a nod against to you guys, I was telling people at this conference that when I started, I listened to Let's Talk Bitcoin, and it felt like I got to the end of the internet. Like, there was <laughs> nothing else to listen to. Like, I was just done. I mean, there was maybe one or two smaller podcasts, but I absorbed, and it was all incredibly valuable and relevant information. So while there was little of it, there was also that much less to learn. And right. so I had what it felt like incredibly good coverage with a little amount of amount of time oh man i can so relate to that yeah. that was very much the case with us too is again you know like there was the period of time where you could just encompass things with a twice weekly show you yeah, know, exactly and, you know talk to a couple of people a week and basically have a good grasp on everything and that probably ended in the middle of 2014 i would say yeah i probably agree with that yeah, as well so i mean like we, we are a long way away from that <laughs> and again like you know that's what i'm seeing is like i went down the rabbit hole on tokens and sort of mm -hmm. token based systems and stuff like that but everybody i know went down a different rabbit hole we all kind of specialize out of necessity uh, yeah because you can only spend so much of your time studying any one thing that you're not able to to go as as breadth first as yeah. you might want to and then some people actually specialize in the breadth first and just simply can't go as deep but at least are, are open-minded to some and then going deeper when they find that it's applicable and so yeah I, I don't envy someone trying to understand this space today 
you know, it is a much more challenging. And you're also spread with a lot of bad content right. in education. How do you filter through all of that? And that's really, I think, one of the big problems is the ability to differentiate between quality content that's actually going to educate you versus something that's trying to lead you into a trap yeah. where you're spending $1,000 for a lifetime subscription to some dude. Exactly. You know, like, it, it's it's uh, for the people who are coming in, they don't have the ability to discern between those things. And oftentimes it's those, you know, scammier ones that have the money to really promote themselves because yep. they're scams. They get in front of people. And yeah. it's funny. Um, this is a an interesting emotion I've had as of late is how do we how do we optimize our decision making over time and how what effect that's had on humanity? And if you think about it, one easy thing to do, which I hate doing, is just simply take what's been around the longest. Oh, let's talk Bitcoin's been around the longest. I can trust them. But at the same time, if you take that same analogy and put it into financial systems, well, yeah. <laughs> the has been around the longest. Why should I trust Bitcoin? Yeah. <laughs> right? No. You know, it's, just, it's like, well, do you just give the, the, the oldest quarterback who's been working for your, your, right, your, yeah. your team the starting position or you let this new rookie come in? It's the same thing. Do you want to optimize for just what's easy to decide on just because someone has a degree from a respectable school that's been around for 200 years? Right. Or do you actually want to dig deep and find out like that diamond in the rough? Right. right. And and it's it's led to and, and as humans, we're one of the few creatures on Earth that actually even try to optimize. Mm -hmm. And that leads to both bad and good things. It leads to awesome technology, but it also leads to kind of optimizing quality out mm -hmm. of our life. Yeah. Um, and so applying just to content, same thing. What content do you discover? How do you discover it? Definitely a challenge. Uh, I, I would recommend the show for sure. Um, but, you know, there are other good ones as well. And it is, it is a little tough to find. Yeah, no, for sure. When we started the Let's Talk Bitcoin show, it was literally the only <laughs> one. And there were a couple that started up, you know, right after. There's Plan B. Plan B was the only th It's still on my phone, Plan actually. Plan B is where I heard uh, Amir Taki for the first time. Oh, really? And he wow. was such an influential kind of uh, thought leader in that early, you know, hyper-libertarian oh, part. Super anarchist, part yes. Part of cryptocurrency. Yeah, super private, down with the government, every way, shape, and form. Yeah. Very much so. Again, you know, he's one of those people who I've seen who, as the story has changed, has increasingly disconnected himself from it. And Correct. like Mike Hearn, you know, basically says it's a failed project for a variety right. of reasons. So it's always interesting to see you know and again the other thing is like a lot of the early people you know they were so focused on the digital cash use case and they never transitioned off of that and they, that's what that was kind of what incentivized the jump to bitcoin cash and right you see right. people kind of still playing the divide you know i mean like and it's a fair divide it's a fair divide i mean like as a I, I think the the mistake that people try to make is they try to pick winners and i think if there's one thing that we've seen over time unless you're picking bitcoin as a whole like it's really, really hard to look at these new technologies and to mm. pick winners and even to pick directionality for the most part. You know, right. we're doing I mean, a lot of the things that we're working on today and most excited about, notably Lightning Network and other L2 solutions, aren't really things or ways that we considered that we would where places the technology would go in this sort of time frame. So it's it's been very interesting just how much has changed and how nobody has really been right. It's because uh, yeah, everyone's a little bit wrong. Yeah. Everyone's a little bit wrong, I yeah. think, because you assume that you're the you're in your echo chamber and then everyone would actually decide with you and you realize that your echo chamber is actually a much smaller part of the world than what than the people that actually have influence mm -hmm. and so that that has been kind of an eye-opening thing is that much like not not to get into politics but much like the surprise that many people in the big cities of the world of san francisco la new york were surprised by trump being elected um, people could be surprised by things like BSV existing for quite some time and being very popular within a you know a demographic of mm -hmm. people is that you stay in your echo chamber you don't realize what it really is out there and the opinions that other people have and how strong they really can be in the industry. Um, so there's this phenomenon where take a doomsday cult. Okay. So they make a prediction the world's going to end on this day and then the world doesn't end on that <laughs> day. 
do people leave? Does everybody leave? What happens? And so what you find <laughs> in practice is that the people who were skeptical about it and kind of playing the fence, they leave. They're like, all right, this was the evidence that I needed. <laughs> but the people who have sold everything, you know, in preparation for the mothership coming down, right. and you know, so that they, I, there was just a documentary I watched about this maybe a couple of months ago. I forgot what it was called. Um, uh, you know about you know this this cult that had predicted this thing and all of these people you know had like uh, quit their jobs and Prepared run down their the bank accounts so that they would be totally poor and you know yeah. destitute at the end of the world so that they could go to heaven <laughs> exactly and, you know and, <laughs> and then you wind up with you know with basically the people who are kind of like on the fence or the less extreme people have the ability to leave because they didn't bet so hard on it but exactly, the people yep. who are the most invested in it they double down they believe even harder right and so you actually see that a lot in cryptocurrencies. It was a trend I first uh, noticed in um, in the early proto shares and bit shares community back in 2014. Oh, they just go all in. Well, is that they made a lot of predictions and then they started yeah. changing rules. And so the people who you know felt like they were most invested in it, well, they 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 became the biggest defenders of all of these ideas because they saw it as in their best interest. And again, I think this is a thing we see over and over and over again with cryptocurrencies. Mm. We do, I think, because unlike any other technology in the past, standards and cryptocurrencies actually create a monetary incentive at the individual level, where standards in every other technology prior right. never had an individual level investment in a technology standard. Right. It was maybe you had shares in a company who then was promoting some protocol like TCPIP right. or Betamax or whatnot, but you as an individual didn't kind of bag hold Betamax as a right. standard. Yeah, there's, no, you know? there's no direct link There's no there. direct link yeah. at the individual level. And since there's fewer companies than our individuals, there is a greater chance for a bit more convergence mm -hmm. of, of opinion. You know, they, they represent, they're almost the delegates of the individuals, mm -hmm. you know, much like a political system. Whereas at the individual level, this is totally new, completely new, where we all have a little bit of say just by what we hold and what we choose to transact in. We're all different. We all disagree. Uh, how we come to consensus and convergence in 20 years, oh my God, is so yet to be seen. It's going to definitely be interesting to see where we are in five years, much less 10 years. I mean, yeah, yeah. how much has changed in the last five. So before I let you go, Paul, I really appreciate your time, by the way. Um, uh, I kind of wanted to talk about, you know, like what what are the underappreciated or kind of what's the most mm. underappreciated thing that you think that people don't really understand, but perhaps they should understand better, or perhaps there's a misunderstanding that's kind of a more common thing. God, I, I mean, it, it. I think it ties into what we just talked about. I think what people underappreciate, especially some of the squeaky wheels in the industry, is experimentation. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of experimentation was done that was very malicious or claimed to be experimentation, but really it was just kind of malicious scams. Mm -hmm. And because of that, people are now underappreciating actual experimentation. Well, I'll tell you, you know, they, they certainly sucked the air out of the room with all no, the exactly. ICOs. That was yeah, the very, ICOs, which yeah. are all claimed to be experimental on mm -hmm. being able to tokenize X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, blah. They sucked the air, sucked the winds out of the sales. And now legitimate projects that are actually trying to do new and different things to solve actual problems in cryptocurrency just don't get any love. Like simple as that, yeah. and and that's what I think people should reopen their eyes to. Which I think once again goes in waves, right? Human emotional waves we've seen over the past five six years with different coins and protocols, and hopefully that the wave comes back to being at least a little open. Not just go and sell your bags for one other bag, mm -hmm. whatnot, but at least have an open mind to listen to the conversation and not shut it down when there are new ideas that are surfacing. 
You know, something I've been thinking about is as we move more towards these regulated token products, there's going to be a really interesting opportunity to see ETFs come out that really take a bunch of different tokens and really spread the risk across a lot of different projects. Obviously, mm. many of the projects that were launched in 2017 were basically garbage. Yeah. But the reality is, is that with this new regulated process that's coming out, it seems like there's more of an opportunity there. And I wonder, do you, you know, like I've, I've been, I've been trying to figure out if ETFs in this space are going to be a positive or going to be a negative? Are they going to let us sort of disintermediate our risk and spread it around the space, or is it just another way to not care? Uh, I'm torn on ETFs, but I tend to think that they're a short-term positive and long-term negative. Hmm. And I'm, uh, I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist, you know, any maximalist of some sort, but I think I've, I've typically classified myself as a hold-your-money hold your keys maximalist, right. like non-custodial maximalist. And because fundamentally, I believe that all the core advantage of, of cryptocurrency, you, you name it, why did you get into cryptocurrency? Other than to just get rich quick. Other than that, yeah. <laughs> all the core advantages of it are lost if most of the world goes into it and most of its value is held in a custodial manner, which inherently is an ETF. Yeah. Unless we're able to tokenize on a smart contract the ownership of multiple different chains, maybe that's possible in the future. And that's not so much an ETF, that's more like a ba basketizing yeah. you know, multiple assets. But why do you need an ETF for an E? Right. It's already <laughs> electronic, so right. why do you need an ETF? Why you need it is to appeal to the people that only are comfortable with custodial holdings through their E-Trade account hmm. and their 401k and IRA. Now, if there is, everyone says, well, we need that. We need the ETF. I'm excited about the ETF because so much money will pour into, into crypto. Realize that that makes a higher percentage of crypto market cap, a higher percentage that now goes custodial. Mm -hmm. And my fear is when we get to that, I think my prediction, critical 70, 80% custodial ownership of crypto, of Bitcoin, that now the custodians can now dictate mm -hmm. how we transact it what becomes the de facto mechanism for transacting Bitcoin, who can transact it, where you can transact it. And even if you might still have on-chain transactions, no one even sees that as being a mechanism at all. Just like who sees moving gold with your hands as a mechanism for owning and transacting gold. Mm -hmm. And if you lose that ability to transact, you actually lose the fundamental core value proposition of crypto because the store of value is only one piece of it. We've had store of values before, but we've never had a no counterparty transactable currency. So getting back to your question, what do I think of ETFs? They're that short-term good because it's going to make great news and it's going to pump the price. But I feel like if I had to, this is a little evil in me. This is probably going to be one of the more evil things that I say. But if I had to pick the perfect outcome mm -hmm. for ETFs and a lot of custodial solutions is that they all come in, they pump the price, and they pay for all this expensive insurance because mm -hmm. they're going to need it. Yeah. And they all, one by one, get hacked, <laughs> but the insurance covers it. Right. <laughs> so no individual actually loses money. But they realize it's a really bad idea. But they're a really <laughs> bad idea, and the insurance companies say, no way, or here's how much you're going to have to pay for us to insure it, mm. which is skyrocket off the charts, and so therefore at least individuals decide, well, we're not going to use that. Mm. And then the actual value moves into the non-custodial world, mm -hmm. where you really keep a minimal amount, maybe the high-frequency traders, yeah. right? Not the 401ks and whatnot, like just the high-frequency traders or ones that use the central exchanges that would me that to me would be the, the great outcome where both crypto wins short term and long term thanks for listening to this episode of let's talk bitcoin this episode was sponsored by purse.io and featured music by jared rubens gertie beats and general fuzz this episode was produced by crystal and edited by adam Thanks to Jason, Paul, Chris, and Nicholas for speaking to me on today's show. Any questions or comments? Email adam 
at ltbshow.com. We'll see you next time.